Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Greenbrook TMS Inc. Second Quarter 2020 Results Conference Call and Webcast. All lines are currently on mute to prevent any background noise. I would like to remind you that this conference call is being recorded today and is also being webcast on the company's website at www.greenbrooktms.com under the Investor section, Events. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. Analysts and investors are reminded that any additional questions can be directed to the company at InvestorRelations at GreenbrookTMS.com. This call contains forward-looking statements, which reflect the current expectations or beliefs of the company based on currently available information. Forward-looking statements are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that may cause the actual results of the company to differ materially from those discussed in the forward-looking statements. Factors that could cause actual results or events to differ materially from current expectations are disclosed under the heading Risk Factors in the company's annual information form dated March 10, 2020, and in the company's MD&A for the period ended June 30, 2020, which are available on CDAR and on the company's website. Any forward-looking statement speaks only as of the date on which it is made and the company disclaims any intent or obligation to update any forward-looking statement unless required by law. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Bill Leonard, President and Chief Executive Officer of Greenbrook TMS and Ernst Loebscher, Chief Financial Officer. Go ahead, please, Mr. Leonard. Thank you, Lindsay, and thank you to everyone for joining our conference call and webcast today. We are very excited about our Q2 2020 results, which demonstrates our ability to navigate and grow during the challenging operating environment imposed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Overall, we were able to continue to grow our business even more than we expected, exceeding our previously disclosed revenue guidance while finding ways to continue to provide the highest quality services and to protect our patients, employees, and physician partners. Despite the challenging operating environment imposed by COVID-19 pandemic, we showed a resilient performance and sustained strong year-over-year revenue growth. With access to TMS therapy now more essential than ever, we have increased efforts to expand patient interactions virtually and the corresponding increased usage of these platforms by both patients and physicians contributed to this positive result. COVID-19 forced us to adapt and innovate. We expect our learning and experience through these times to provide valuable lessons and strong leverage as we continue to focus on expanding our base of clinics. Quarterly consolidated revenue for Q2 2020 increased by 21% to 9.8 million as compared to Q2 2019, significantly exceeding our previously disclosed guidance. On a year-to-date 2020 basis, consolidated revenue increased by 44% to $21.2 million. Furthermore, Q2 2020 consolidated revenue of $9.8 million represented a decrease of only 14% 
as compared to Q1 2020, again, significantly exceeding our previously disclosed guidance. We added three active TMS centers during Q2 2020 with an additional 12 TMS centers in development. This brings our total network to 125 Greenbrook centers, which is an increase of 62% from Q2 to 2019. We're also particularly proud of our ability to reach new patients during this difficult time. In June, we established a record monthly high and new patient treatment starch, which supports a strong upward trend following the initial impact of COVID-19 and position us well for what we hope to be a strong Q3 and beyond. And now for a more detailed review of the company's financial and operating performance, I will turn it over to our CFO, Ernst Loopscher. Thank you, Bill. As Bill mentioned, despite the impact of COVID-19, consolidated quarterly revenue increased by 21% to 9.8 million in Q2 2020. On a year-to-date basis, consolidated revenue increased by 44% to 21.2 million. Furthermore, Q2 2020 consolidated revenue represented a decrease of only 14% as compared to Q1 2020. This positive result was primarily attributable to the increased efforts to provide greater access to patients virtually through the expanded use of online platforms and focused marketing efforts on the safety and accessibility of our TMS centers. The continued development of our TMS center network by adding three active TMS centers coupled with the achieved TMS acquisition also contributed to the strong growth. COVID-19 has increased demand for mental health services, including an increase in psychiatric visits and depression and anxiety scripts, which we believe will continue to promote growth as operating conditions normalize. As expected, same region sales growth was negative 19% in Q2 2020, but remained positive at 2% on a year-to-date basis. The negative growth experienced in Q2 2020 was directly attributable to the impact of COVID-19. As operating conditions continue to normalize, we believe this metric will revert back to the pre-COVID-19 levels. Average revenue per treatment increased by 5% to 230 in Q2 2020 and by 5% to 234 during the year-to-date 2020 period. This increase was predominantly attributable to an increase in reimbursement rates from certain players with which we've had long-standing relationships in our established regions and its expansion to more favorable reimbursement jurisdictions. Moving to regional operating income. In line with our expectations, we incurred a regional operating loss for Q2 2020 of 200,000 as compared to regional operating income of a million in Q2 2019. Regional operating income decreased 68% to 500,000 during the year-to-date period 2020. This is is attributable to a reduction in patient treatments during the period as a result of COVID-19. The regional operating income margin was 2.4% in year-to-date 2020 compared to 11.1% in year-to-date 2019, again due to the impact of COVID-19. Year-over-year, Corporate aggregate corporate costs increased by only 9% to 3.1 million for Q2 2020 and by 35% to 7 million on a year to date basis 2020. Quarter over quarter aggregate corporate costs, however, decreased by 19% or 750,000 
compared to Q1 2020, really illustrating the success of our cost mitigation strategies. The modest year-over-year -year increase in corporate G&A and decrease quarter-over-quarter -quarter respectively is a result of the investment in our business infrastructure and increased staffing of our shared services function in fiscal 2019, coupled with the achieved CMS acquisition. Again, offset significantly by disciplined measures implemented to control costs as a result of COVID-19. As anticipated, the Q2 2020 and year-to-date 2020 aggregate corporate cost growth rate has decreased significantly as compared to the fiscal 2019, as we continue to scale into our centralized business infrastructure. This is further highlighted by the growth in revenue eclipsing the growth rate in aggregate corporate costs in both Q2 2020 and on a year-to-date 2022 basis. The loss for the period increased predominantly as a result for the earnout of the, the earnout payable to the sellers of achieved TMS, which demonstrates the strong performance even during these challenging times by that business. From a balance sheet perspective, accounts receivable increased by, by 800,000 to 10.9 million in Q2 2020 compared to Q4 2019 and decreased by 100,000 compared to Q1 2020. The company has already started to realize the benefits of the recent enhancements made to the billing and reimbursement system. This is despite the continued number of new TMS centers where the effects of payer contracting and billing system setup impacts the normal cash conversion cycle. And slightly slower reimbursement timelines experienced from payers due to the disruption caused by COVID-19. We expect accounts receivable to continue to stabilize throughout fiscal 2020. As of Q2 2020, we had approximately 13.6 million in cash on hand, including an unsecured loan of approximately 3.1 million under the United States Paycheck Protection Program received during the quarter. We also completed a public offering of common shares for an aggregate gross proceeds of approximately Canadian 15 million during the quarter. The company is using the net proceeds from the offering to fund operating activities and for other working capital and general corporate purposes, effectively strengthening our balance sheet in this current uncertain economic environment. Moving to our core operating metrics. As at the end of Q2 2020, the total number of TMS centers increased by 62% to 125 from 77 a year ago. On of the 125, currently 113 centers are active and contribute contributing to revenue. The number of consultations performed increased by 7% to 2,075 compared to Q2 2019. We increased the number of TMS treatments performed by 16% to 42,581 over Q2 2019. Patient starts increased by 22% to 1,218 compared to Q2 2019. Our forward-looking indicators were all skewed down as a result of COVID-19 um, experienced during the quarter. As Bill mentioned earlier, however, we have seen a positive sentiment towards the end of the quarter, established a record monthly high in new patient starts in June, which supports a strong upward trend and which we believe will position us well for, for the next quarter and beyond. Back to you, Bill. Thanks, Ernst. As we mentioned earlier, we have demonstrated our ability to navigate and grow during the challenging operating environment imposed by COVID-19. 
Overall, we were able to exceed previously disclosed revenue guidance while continuing to provide the highest quality services and protecting our patient, employees, and physician partners. We are particularly proud of our ability to reach new patients during this difficult time, and I am confident that our business will emerge even stronger as market conditions continue to normalize. The need for mental health support is at an all-time high, and despite a slowdown development activity, our development pipeline is stronger than ever and primed for expansion when market conditions allow. We have now treated over 13,000 patients with over 460,000 treatments performed. We are closing in on a half million TMS therapy treatments, a significant positive impact on the lives of so many patients suffering from depression. We look forward to keeping you updated on the progress of the company throughout 2020. Thank you for your time today. And with that, Lindsay, we will now take questions. At this time, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of David Newman with Desjardins. Your line is now open. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, morning, David. Solid results and uh, the trends look positive, so uh, congratulations. I just want to get a little bit more attribution around around, uh, your outlook overall. So if you had to go month by month, in terms of patient volumes, revenues, new patient starts, and some of the metrics that you guys measure. Uh, how did July shape up, and how did June shape up, and how did it just kind of trend month by month through the quarter, just so we get a better sense of uh, your, your optimism for the, for the third quarter, which uh, obviously is uh, looking pretty decent. Yeah, great question, David. Uh, I think from our perspective, when Q2 started, uh, the initial impact of the pandemic was felt uh, late March and then into the start of Q2 in April. Um, From that point, uh, we did several key uh, items operationally that really helped us start to trend up. I think the first thing we did was really from a marketing perspective was to really get the message out on what shelter-in-place and stay-at-home government mandate meant. We did a great job with uh, utilizing platforms such as TV and news radio to make sure patients understood the need for care of their mental health uh, indications. That was the first thing. Allowing us to utilize the platform virtually really created patients the opportunity to get to us without having to have multiple trips to the center. And then really we start to see a significant impact and rise in our treatments uh, and new patient starts from really May and then into a record-breaking June. Um, Obviously, I can't speak a lot about July, but uh, you know, I will tell you that I don't believe June will be our forever high watermark for the for the company for the year. Okay, and uh, do you think you, as you look out, do you think you you could? Uh, um, sounds like it could, but I just want to hear you hear your thoughts on it. But do you think you could exceed pre-COVID level run rates? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I continue to see positive trends. Uh, I think, you know, we are still in the midst of the pandemic, which hotspots popping up uh, throughout the U.S. Yeah. With that said, there's a, different, there's a different patient sentiment right now. I think patients were really confused early on the whole government mandates of stay-at-home, shelter-in-place. I think now, you know, you're seeing an increase in depression scripts written. You're seeing an increase in psychiatric visits. Um, we've seen numbers of 20% to 30% uh, 
of new scripts written, which really builds a pipeline for us in the future, in the future months ahead. So, um, you know, obviously I do think the company will continue to grow. Uh, as we stated earlier, I think uh, we are in a great position as an organization to take advantage of, uh, unfortunately, the growth in mental health needs. Um, so we feel really confident about the position we're in and expect to see growth uh, in, in the months to come. Sorry, Bill. And then, Bill, if you look at, you, I think your target, initial target, was like 140 centers um, by the end of this year. And you're not that far off, to be honest. And uh, you've got about 18 months of, of 18 months of capital and for OpEx and CapEx. I mean, how how are you thinking about center expansion again? If you're seeing this kind of activity level, so what are you guys thinking in terms of that? Uh, in terms of expansion. Yeah, we're, we're, we are still focused on being a growth company. Um, we are uh, really kind of making sure that the trends continue to kind of move upwards. Uh, and as far as growth is concerned, like I said earlier, our pipeline has gotten better. Uh, one thing COVID did do was create a really strong pipeline for us. Uh, we continue to explore opportunities. And at the right time, we'll, we'll kind of get back on the development uh, train, uh, which uh, we hope to be uh, late this year into Q1. Very good. And the last one for me, guys, is on the cost-cutting efforts. Obviously, you, you did a lot, a lot of good things here in terms of, uh, you know, your ability to cut costs, including furloughing uh, some employees, which are now, you know, coming back. And any of these savings that you're, that you might believe uh, could become more permanent. Often, these uh, opportunities come along where maybe that's COVID is not really an opportunity, but it does allow you to sort of look in the mirror and, and, and kind of look at your cost structure and find inefficiencies. And you did cite that you, you're around U.S. $1.2 million in discretionary expenses uh, realized. I assume that's an annualized number um, toward your $2 million target. But any, anything that could be, as we look at this, sort of forecasting our cost structure going out, any that's going to be more permanent in nature? I think we certainly, as 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 we mentioned, um, what COVID-19 did, it forced us to innovate and also, as you mentioned, forced us to look at kind of the, our cost structure and the optimal, optimal cost structure. So I think there's certainly lessons learned. Uh, we managed to fairly rapidly take costs out of the cost structure from Q1 to uh, Q2, a $750,000 reduction. So I think there's, there's, there, there is opportunity and some lessons learned that that we can we can rationalize that and, and, and learn going forward as it, as, as it relates to, for instance, marketing expenses um, to, keep, to, to keep the business even at, uh, leaner than it was before. And, and Ernst, was, that, was the 750K, was that actually out of, the, um, out of the income statement or is that an annualized number? That, that was actually so. We, we had about $3.8 million in, in corporate GNA in Q1, and we came in about a $3.1 million in, in uh, just below $3.1 million in, in Q2. So that was, that was actual cost cuts based on kind of our Q1 run rate to our Q2. Excellent. That's what I thought. Excellent, guys. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, and uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thanks, David. Our next question comes from the line of Noel Atkinson with Claris Securities. Your line is now open. Hi, Bill and Ernst. Uh, well done in Q2, and thanks for taking our questions this morning. Um, I wanted to thanks get so. your insight. Hi, uh, your insight about uh, Neuronetics. So they've announced recently some significant improvements in 
PMS therapy eligibility uh, with several major insurers, and I just wanted to see how you think that flows through to hopefully benefiting Greenbrook. Yeah, we, we uh, appreciate and applaud the work Noronetics did to continue to expand accessibility for TMS therapy. Uh, as it relates to their announcement yesterday, I, I, to me, um, what I think you're seeing now is the momentum driving is with TMS therapy as close to first-line treatment as possible when you're getting down to one to two failed cycles of meds compared to when we started where in 2013-17 it was four to six cycles of meds. So I think now that the payers are seeing the results of TMS therapy and the need uh, to support depression modalities, I, I think you're seeing positive movement. With that said, to me what I loved about it was the fact that demographically it opens up the opportunity for us to treat younger patients. Uh, some of the patients in that 18 to 21 range, 22, 23, have not been on four or five cycles of meds yet. They've only been on one or two. So it allows you to get to that demographic, that younger patient population sooner as opposed to later. Um, there is a lag period. I think for every you know, one or two trials you make, it's probably a six to month lag. Um, so I do think it helps increase the pipeline and expand the demographics, uh, uh, you know, late fall, uh, late, late winter, uh, early spring for Greenbrook. And we're in a great position to take advantage of it, not only with our footprint, but with our growth. Uh, and obviously, we uh, have great doctors and a great patient experience. Okay, great. Um, this might have been asked already. I apologize. I had to step off for a sec. But um, are you negotiating with any of your landlords uh, in terms of, of rent forbearance or deferrals or anything like that? I wouldn't say we're negotiating because uh, unlike uh, some uh, businesses, we actually have been open and seeing patients. We have not closed any of our centers down, so our patients are actively coming to our centers on a day-to-day -day basis. So it would be difficult for us to negotiate uh, kind of abatement when we are still actively using those centers, which is a good thing as we stayed open during this uh, pandemic. Okay. Uh, then just finally, so you talked a little bit in your prepared remarks about COVID impact and, you know, you've had really strong new patient starts in June and sounds like into July. Um, with uh, the, you know, these recent hot spots, as you say, sort of popping up in, in, certain, in certain areas, like, are you seeing negative impact on patient activity when cases surge in these areas or is it different now that there aren't shelter-in-place restrictions? Yeah, I think a couple things. Uh, one is um, the, the patient today in July, August is different than that patient was in March, April. Um, they, they understand the government mandates and shelter in place are not uh, kind of in place right now. There is a little bit of a resurgence of COVID throughout the U.S., particular hotspots, as you discussed. But, like, but the patient kind of response has been different. They are seeking treatment. They are responding to our advertising and wanting to take care of their mental health needs. So that, that's been a different sentiment out there from a patient perspective. As far as the hotspots, um, the hotspots are popping up, you know, all the time. You can't listen to the news without hearing a different place. Um, and obviously, we are watching that closely and addressing it. But I think the key fact here is that the patient, unlike March and April, is responding um, differently, and you also are supported by no mandates or shelter-in-place commentary from the government. Right. Okay. Thanks for taking my questions. Thanks, Bill. Our next question comes from the line of David Martin with Bloom Burton. Your line is now open. 
Uh, hi, uh, thanks for taking the questions. And this one's kind of a follow-up to uh, Noel's last question. Um, so you've made some adaptations to your clinics in the way you deliver service to uh, accommodate COVID, and it, it helped you keep patients who had started therapy on therapy. Um, if there are uh, more shelter-in-place um, uh, regulations put in place, do you think that you'll be able to keep your patient starts up at normal levels because of the changes you've made and because of the uh, change in mindset of the patients? Well, David, I think what, what we really learned and what we talked about earlier was the ability to adapt and innovate during this time. So we, we did prove that even when there was that mandate in place by the government, we did see an increase in our in our pay, new patient starts specifically in May and then into June. Um, so we feel that during this course of time in the first three months of the pandemic, uh, one thing that happened was uh, we learned a lot of lessons. And I think those lessons apply as we go forward uh, as this uh, uh, pandemic continues to kind of be out in the U.S. So uh, for our standpoint, um, it's continuing. We had a really strong June, a record-breaking June, and we're really pleased with what we've seen in, uh, you know, in our July business as well. You could operate through shelter-in-place uh, rules, so like you, you, you could still get uh, new patient starts uh, if shelter-in-place hits uh, certain regions. Yeah, well, I mean, per CDC guidelines, we're actually Greenbrook is an essential service, so we are staying open during that time, which our patients are very excited to have the fact have someone be able to help them during this stressful time. Um, and as I said earlier, we did we were able to operate and on a month-over-month -month basis in Q2 continue to increase our new patient starts during shelter-in-place mandates. Okay. And then the rebound in patient starts, is that across all your regions and somewhat uniform, or is it uh, different in different regions? We, we've seen, David, we, we've seen a fairly uniform um, bounce back in in. Um, it, it happened at different times. We had an initial impact, obviously, when shelter-in-place uh, mandates came into to play, and then we saw a gradual bounce back. But as Bill mentioned, as kind of our focus marketing efforts, um, uh, informing patients what it means to come to our location um, has, has facilitated kind of a across-the-board bounce back. Okay. Um, revenue per treatment up versus last year, but it dipped a bit versus Q1 2020, um, first quarter this year. Is that um, because of mix of business in different regions, or have you seen some payers reduce their reimbursement rates? What uh, What's that attributed to? Um, so, so two core things. Uh, no no uh, reduction in reimbursement rates. Um, in every quarter, we deal with the payer mix, um, and, and that's a fairly random figure, although it stays fairly stable. Um, but the, the main impact in, in, in this quarter was where we generated our revenue. So jurisdictionally, um, in terms of, of uh, like St. Louis, for instance, performed, performed pretty well, um, and, and that is a, that's a lower jurisdiction, a lower reimbursement jurisdiction. So it's just a product of, of where we generated our revenue um, and, and a little bit of contribution from PayMX. Uh, we, we expect that to normalize back up um, as, as we go through the year. Okay, and then one last question. Um, any impact from new indications, OCD, are you starting to see reimbursement for that? 
Uh, there's no reimbursement at this time for OCD. I know we recently met with Brainsway and they continue to put uh, uh, work in to try to create uh, a, a payer reimbursement model. Um, I don't anticipate that to come into play uh, in 2020 and, and hopefully progress is made as we get into late 2021. We are having success though um, on individual reimbursement by patient from time to time. So we are, we're starting to see some positive response from the payers on a case-by-case -case basis. Are there any other indications where you're getting that kind of case-by-case -case basis uh, reimbursement? Uh, no other uh, indications this time, but uh, I'm really excited about recent discussions with both Nordnetics and Brainsway on uh, kind of the efforts they're making in terms of potential clinical trials beginning in 2021. So I, I think it's gonna be an active pipeline as we go forward. Uh, so I think the TMS therapy sector is in great shape with uh, not only new indications, but the increase of depression caused by, by COVID. Okay, thank you. Our Thanks, next, Dave. Our next question comes from the line of Tanya Gonzalez with Canaccord Genuity. Your line is now open. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, a few for me. So following on Noel's question, if TMS does become a third-line treatment across the board, I know it's happened for three insurers or so right now, can you quantify how this will change your addressable market? So like my rough math, if you're moving from fifth-line treatment to second-line treatment, you're, you're getting another 20% of uh, patients. Does that seem reasonable to you? Yeah, at first, I think you're defining third line as you're, you're, you're saying talk therapy, then meds. I just want to understand if, if that's how you view it. I'm not counting talk therapy. So I'm saying two lines of meds and then TMS. Yep. Okay, great. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I, I think what Noronetics said in terms of that uh, patient population, it was an additional 50 million patients added to the pipeline, uh, which, again, I think is a younger demographic. Uh, that allows us to uh, attract at the Greenbrook centers. So I do think there's an increased pipeline uh, that will become available to us. Excellent. Um, and do you think over time, is there a risk for a decline in reimbursement rates as TMS becomes more accessible? There, there's always that risk, uh, but what I will say to you is uh, with such a high focus on mental health in the United States, uh, I, I don't anticipate any significant changes over the reimbursement landscape in the next couple of years. Um, obviously, we have done a great job with actually increasing our reimbursement rate, uh, both due to not only renegotiating in, uh, in marketplaces that we have a strong footprint, but also in new jurisdictions such as uh, California and Texas where the reimbursement rates are higher. So we, uh, we continue to try to move that bar upwards, but for right now we do not see uh, uh, a decline on the, um, on the market yet. I think, I think adding, add, add, adding to Bill in terms of uh, keeping in mind the value proposition for payers in terms of it's a, 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 a treatment resistant depression patient, an expensive patient, and, and a novel, novel therapy for that in, in terms of TMS um, it essentially saves the payer money. So there's, there's incentives to, to not only with the focus on mental health, but also from an economic benefit perspective to, to keep incentivizing folks to deliver TMS therapy. Okay, perfect, that's very helpful. Um, now, in terms of the cost-saving initiatives that you talked about, just a few questions there. 
So your uh, 275 regional personnel count, that was down only 9% quarter over quarter, I think. So were furloughs captured in this figure? So, so there's a couple of things that happened. So we, we initially furloughed, we had two waves of, of furloughs, one um, effective April 1 and one effective um, uh, May 1. And, and that was kind of 20 to 25% of the workforce. What, what we had to do um, with the significant increase in volume, um, a lot of those, those um, furloughs had to do with volume-based employees like technicians which really is, 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 a, is a product of, of the number of treatments that we do. So we had to bring back um, quite a few, um, more than half actually, of, of those volume-based volume, volume based employees, and that's why, why you won't see the, the full 20 to 20% in, in those figures comparatively. Perfect, okay, and you already answered my next question then. Um, so then on, on the hiring freeze, um, do you have an idea of when you might take that off and when uh, when deferred executive salary will be paid out now that like you have a good quarter behind you it seems like we've we're through the trough I hope um, are, are you thinking about those things so in, in terms of um, the we, we as, as, as for the earlier question I think there's a lot of lessons learned and um, in terms of containing costs and so we being we're being very cautious as, as, as obviously conditions, operating conditions has gotten significantly better, but we're not completely through. It's not a post-COVID environment. We're still, we're still in the pandemic. So um, we'll keep a close eye on that. Um, but on, from an immediate perspective, we're not, we're not losing the higher hiring freeze uh, quite yet. Okay. Um, and the the deferred executive salary, no no timeline uh, yet. No out. specific timelines on on that yet. Okay, perfect. It, it seems like a lot of the the beaten volumes was driven by these virtual initiatives that you've put in place. Could you give us a little bit more color on those, and if there's any improvements that you're rolling out through the remainder of the year? Yeah, I think the increase in volume actually stemmed from a couple of things. One was it definitely was the virtual platform because it created an opportunity for patients to reduce their visits during that kind of stay-at-home, shelter-in-place mandate. Um, but we don't get there without the kind of the changes we made in marketing, specifically the platforms we were kind of uh, transitioned to, such as more news, uh, news radio and, and a stronger digital kind of um, offering. So it was, it was both a combination. The virtual platform was actually started before COVID happened, and what that was meant to do was we were trying to access more patients to get them through both the console process and a pre-assessment process without entering into the center. Uh, as you know, eventually that patient, once they move forward with the treatment, has to come in for the, uh, the daily treatment, so you can't, uh, you can't utilize the virtual platform. But I think overall, the virtual platform has responded very well. I think our team and doctors have done a great job with it, uh, and it's something we will continue to keep in place as it does allow us to extend our reach and to offer more uh, patient interactions uh, prior to kind of coming in for that actual treatment. Excellent. Okay. Um, and just one more from me here. I know you've talked before about, like, you've done the raise your balance sheet seems in pretty good shape now, um, but you've talked about raising some sort of non-dilutive financing uh, that'll obviously give you ammunition to pursue M&A, especially if the, the pricing outlook improves here during COVID. Uh, what are, has there been any progress with that? 
So um, that, that, that's spot on what you're saying. Like our current cash resources allow us to run the business to, to essentially profitability. Um, having said that, we will explore non-dilutive financing options to take advantage of, for instance, potential acquisitions or other significant growth opportunities. Um, so the, we, we, the, that, that process, obviously, as we previously said, is, is ongoing, and, and we will continue to explore that. Okay, that's all from me. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Our next question comes from the line of Justin Keywood with Stiefel GMP. Your line is now open. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm wondering on the 12 new centers in development, are you able to give some color if these are in uh, previous regions or new ones? It's uh, those are those are centers that those are regions that we established in uh, the prior year that we are adding density to uh, as we continue to grow our regional model out. Okay, and I'm <clears throat> I'm wondering if you're able to secure more favorable uh, lease rates now. Uh, I assume there's higher vacancy, and and would this be a, a benefit as far as uh, you know the regions in development or uh, the business development pipeline going forward? We, we've certainly seen um, in terms of lease rates that uh, the landscape has become um, less competitive in terms of accessing space. Having said that, we've obviously curtailed development, so we, we're on a less active search for, for real estate at the moment. But I think going forward, that, that's certainly an opportunity to, to access more favorable, favorable uh, rates there um, um, as, as the market has contracted a little bit as it relates to competitiveness uh, for, for um, real estate. And is there an opportunity to renegotiate any of your prior lease? If, are any uh, coming up for renewal? I, I think certainly coming up for renewal. Um, we, we've done, done, done well at our head office from a renegotiation perspective. Um, I think certainly all centers that are coming up for renewal will, will we have some negotiating leverage. Um, and then obviously any new centers when, when we do start up the development uh, train again. Okay, it's good to hear. And then just on the GTMS offering in general, um, is there other therapies that you're looking at uh, that you see as valid as far as incorporating in the like outside of uh, TMS therapy? Yeah, good question, Justin. Uh, I think what Greenbrook is today is uh, uh, the largest TMS provider, but it is uh, 125 centers that has great doctors, uh, a wonderful staff, and, and an amazing patient experience. So. What we have is the ability, we have a platform, and we have the ability to grow from that platform, whether it's additional TMS indications or additional mental health uh, services. Um, so I think what we've always done is we've explored opportunities that may have an opportunity to increase our revenue stream uh, that makes sense to us. Uh, we've explored panic disorder. We've explored spravado. Um, so we'll continue to look at that to see what makes the most sense for us um, in terms of expansion uh, in, in our centers. Uh, as of right now, we have not done that. There's still an underserved marketplace with depression that TMS therapy can benefit from, um, but we're actively always pursuing that with our chief medical officer and our doctors to see what additional indications or products we can bring into the centers. Okay, thank you. That's helpful. I appreciate it. Thanks, Doc. And again, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Our next question comes from David Newman with Desjardins. Your line is open. 
just a quick follow-up, guys, um, just on your um, potential for M&A here in, in, in this environment. Uh, obviously, you're cashed up. It'll last you 18 months, but there there's, there's might be evolving opportunities out there uh, at good values. I mean, what's the landscape look like? Uh, is everybody participating in this kind of rally here, or some are suffering more? I, I think the industry as a whole, um, you got to remember that there's – about 90% of the industry is made up of individual practitioners with the device. And I believe that that group of doctors has, hard, has had a harder time of rebounding from the pandemic. You had a lot of them that switched to just straight telehealth. Some of them paused their TMS business and are now trying to re-engage. Um, so from our standpoint, uh, really the pandemic put us in a better position in terms of a pipeline and interested parties who would like to work with us. Again, we will kind of uh, you know, we paused our development for specific reasons, but I do believe there's some great opportunities out there as we continue to kind of ramp back up and see our way through the pandemic. Um, I, I think we're in a great position to kind of take advantage of what has happened due to the uh, pandemic. And, and so are you seeing some that are near the point of capitulation here in this kind of environment that where they're just suffering too much and they might, uh, they might be able to sell out at a decent value? Yeah, I think, uh, again, um, I would say, too, there's still probably about 20% of the doctors who provide TMS service haven't even turned back on the devices right now. So, um, obviously, uh, significant change in the landscape. Um, those that uh, have started back up, um, I, I know from an outreach standpoint, uh, my phone has uh, – my pipeline for development calls has increased, and I know our development team is anxious to kind of get back at it. Um, so, I really believe that um, – we have an opportunity to make deals like we did with uh, Achieve that make a lot of sense for the company uh, that really puts us in a great position to expand our footprint. And when, when do you think you might pull the handcuffs off, Bill, and just kind of start looking at these a little more seriously? Um, hopefully soon, but I'd say soon as uh, we have a better sense of uh, where COVID kind of uh, – what happens with COVID next. Um, but we're, we're being cautious on it, but, you know, it's not like there's someone else – coming in play right now and uh, removing potential opportunities away from us. So we're starting to see some strong trends, and obviously we're beginning to ramp up discussions in terms of potential opportunities. Very good. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, David. There are no further questions in queue at this time. I'll turn the call back over to our presenters for closing comments. Well, thank you, everyone, today. Uh, appreciate your opportunity to present uh, the Greenbrook uh, earnings report to you. Um, stay, stay safe, stay healthy, and look forward to uh, updating you next on the Q3 call. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.